Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic and Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. No, not just another episode. It's the War of the Spark Crash Course. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan this might be the most hyped I've ever been to play with a set of Magic the Gathering cards. I think this might just be the most hyped anyone in the Magic community has been to play with a set of Magic cards. I mean, we got that War of the Spark trailer from PAX East. I think ever since then, everyone's just been off the wall. We had this three weeks of spoiler season. It's been really awesome. And I think this is just a limited player's dream of a format. I think so. And I think this, the way they did spoiler season with spoiling commons and uncommons actually got me more hyped for it as a limited player as well. Like that was sort of a new a new thing. Yeah, we got to like feel involved as the set was rolling out rather than just like seeing 80 commons on the last day. Yeah, I'm super excited. We have a lot to get through. So for folks who are joining us for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we do things a little differently on Lords of Limited. We don't do a card by card set review. Uh, we sort of look at big picture stuff to get you as primed as possible for your pre-release for your first week of drafts. Um, we're going to look at some statistics for the set, looking at just commons and uncommons. We're going to talk about the removal, sort of like average converted mana cost for a bunch of stuff, how that tracks against previous sets so we can get an idea of what we're looking at. Then we're going to look at some grade differences between me and Ben. So we have graded all of the cards uh, individually, and we will share that with everyone in the place where you download the episode. You'll get to see all our grades there, and we'll talk about the cards where we had multiple gradations of differences in our grades separately. And then we're going to do my favorite thing, which is we're going to rank our top three commons in each color and our top two commons in each color. Yeah, you finally didn't have to wait for my rankings. I was I was the first one done this time for the first time ever. I know it was, it was great. It was really hard for me. I had to use all my willpower to not look at your rankings before making my own. So before we get into any of that, we really want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can give back to the show if you so choose. And people are just gearing up for the start of a new format. That's the place to be when you want to give back to the show because you get access to Lords of Limited Discord. We've got hundreds of people just trying to break this format before it even begins. We've got people already doing like draft sims, already talking about pack one, pick ones, already looking at sealed pools. It's really, really exciting. We're going to get such a jump on this format and we're going to break it before anybody else does. I just know it. So if you want to get in on that Discord, if you want to get a couple higher tier rewards as well for giving back a little bit more to the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. We want to make sure that we shout out each and every new patron the first week that they join. And we are so thankful to have a whole mess of people this week. Again, we want to welcome Logan, Tony, 
Ty, Nathaniel, Jow, Skinny Fitz, Mark, Drew, Rune, Christian, Jason, Lawrence, Greg, Rob, and my personal favorite Patreon name ever, Big Man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. You got to get in while it's hot. This is the best time to be in the Lords of Limited Discord. The War of the Spark card evaluation channel is just absolute fire right now. Yeah. (laughs) All I was doing yesterday while I was grading was grading cards, going to the War card evaluation channel, grading (laughs) cards, going back, grading cards, going back. It was awesome. What do these people think of this card? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty sweet. All right. So we're going to dive in. As I said, we have graded each card individually. So sort of as a framework for that, we're going to be using the, the sort of, I think, the golden standard for grading cards, which is the limited resources alphabet grading system. Ben, why don't you uh, walk us through this here? Yeah, we're going to kick things off with A's. Those are the bombs, game winners. They're good in many situations, especially when you're behind. Some of the best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient removal spells. So some examples of that from Ravnica Allegiance, Skargan Hellkite, Ethereal Absolution, and Biogenic Ooze. B's are strong cards that pull you into a color, make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color, or combination of colors. These are like the best commons and good uncommons. You can think about Gatebreaker Ram, Trollbred Guardian, Savage Smash, and Senate Guildmage. The C's, your solid playables, the meat and potatoes of any limited deck. They're very interchangeable, average creatures, normal removal spells, cards like Summary Judgment, Skitter Eel, Plague White, and Burning Tree Vandal. D's, these are sometimes playable. These are like below replacement level, 22nd, 23rd type cards. Hazda Officer, Spike Wheel Acrobat, Axbane Beast. Your F's are your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck or weird rares. Some examples are Deface, Root Snare, Smothering Tithe, Font of Agonies, and Awaken the Erstwhile. We've got a couple like tacked on grades that we'll give to some cards here in addition to each of those letter grades having like plus or minuses attached to them uh so we've got sideboard cards these are cards that don't make the main deck but when you board them in can be one of the best cards in your deck like silver bullet type cards so exposed to daylight bring to trial justiciers portal scrabbling claws we also have a build around category these are cards that don't do much on their own but when you build around them can be good to great some examples of that there were a lot in ravnica allegiance dovin's acuity high alert cavalcade of calamity and gates ablaze and then lastly we've got a synergy grade so these are cards that aren't quite good enough to build around but provide good synergy if they're in the right deck so they're not reasons to move into a kind of deck or to skew your picks but they can be uh bumped up by support cards so we can think of a a couple examples like hero of precinct one getting a bunch of multicolored cards in your deck or undercity scavenger getting maybe some more sacrifice fodder that sort of stuff and that moves us on to our new and returning mechanics from war of the spark there's only two mechanics in this entire set, which is kind of mind-boggling for yeah. how complex the set looks. So the first one up is a brand new mechanic, and that is a mass. There's a card, for example, called Relentless Advance that's three and a blue for a sorcery, and it just says on it simply a mass three. So a mass is always going to come with a number, and so whatever that number is, for example, a mass three, you put three plus one plus one counters on an army you control. If you don't control one, first create a zero zero black zombie army creature token so the very first time you amass, you're going to get, you know, whatever. If it says amass two, you're going to get a 2-2 zombie army token. And then future amass cards, assuming that your zombie army token has stuck around, are going to put plus one, plus one counters on that previously existing zombie army token. So you're only ever going to have, theoretically, one zombie army token unless you manage to copy it or do some other shenanigans with it. 
Yeah, last week I said I thought Amass was really hard to evaluate, and I think after doing the full set review with Travis on stream yesterday, I think Amass is just great. Do you really? Yeah. I, I like Every situation, I was like, so either this makes a creature or makes your existing creature bigger and it already has haste. So I guess both of those are just good. So we'll, we'll see if we have any differences in our Amass grades later on in the show. The other mechanic we're going to look at here is Proliferate, which is a returning mechanic from Scars of Mirrodin block. Uh, so to Proliferate, you choose any number of players or permanents that have one or more counters on them. This can be any kind of counters, right? It can be plus and plus one counters on creatures, loyalty counters on planeswalkers, even unusual things like time, charge, or doom counters. I don't know if we have any of those in this format, but uh, that's stuff to look out for. Counters that players get, including energy, experience, and poison. Again, not in the set. There's all These are all fair game, though. So for each of the chosen players or permanents, you give it another counter of the same kind it already had. So I think the two main things to look out for in this format are plus one, plus one counters, um, a lot of ways to get those, and loyalty counters on planeswalkers and that takes us over to the stats baby you want to kick things off ethan yeah okay so we're going to take a look at first common creatures power and toughness stats so there are 58 total creatures at common and this is taking into account creatures with enter the battlefield counters or a mass so if a creature comes within a mass amount i just sort of tacked that on to its power and toughness so the average power is 2.45 and the average toughness ben is 2.93 which is huge so i have both ravnica allegiance and guilds of ravnica here guilds of ravnica creatures were like 2.32 and 2.47 so like about you know 2.5 toughness and ravnica allegiance was 2.57 power 2.79 toughness so we're seeing almost a full half uh, a point of toughness increase from Guilds of Ravnica to this format. So we're looking at average creature size being like 2.5 and toughness being about three, which is a big butt. War the Spark creatures got back, baby. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense if we think that this format is about defending Planeswalkers. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly maybe a nod to the speed of the format right there. Right. Uh, so we look at median power and toughness uh, is 2.3. Whereas in Ravnica Allegiance, it was 2-2. The mode power and toughness is 2-2. Uh, in Ravnica Allegiance, it was 2 and 2.5. And then the range here is 0 to 7 power, 1 to 7 toughness. In Ravnica Allegiance, it was 0 to 6 and 1 to 7. So not, not a huge difference in any of the other stat lines there. But the average is a, a big teller there, I think, about, about what sort of butts we can expect at common. Yeah, and I think maybe a nod to the fact that blocking is going to be good. God, I hope so. I sure hope so. Moving on to the uncommon creatures power and toughness stats. So there are 27 creatures at uncommon, whereas in comparison, RNA had 48. And this is excluding Ugin's Conjurant from the stats because it's like an XX creature. Uh, we'll talk about that one a little later. We have a differing opinion on Ugin's Conjurant. <laughs> so the average power for uncommon creatures is 2.33. The average toughness is 2.67. And to compare in RNA, the average power was 2.6. Average toughness was 2.875. So on average, a little bit smaller creatures at Uncommon. And I think it's also interesting to note that the stats are worse at Uncommon for power and toughness than they are for Common. So I think we can probably expect a lot of utility creatures at Uncommon, maybe with some powerful abilities. It's not an Uncommon thing that we see, but uh, it is it is definitely something to to notice for sure the median power and toughness in or the spark is a 2-2 the mode power and toughness is also a 2-2 
And in comparison, those things in Ravnica, the median was a 2-3, but the mode also a 2-2. So very similar uh, size, uncommon creatures to Ravnica Legions. And the range here, power from 0 to 6 in the uncommons, and toughness 1 to 5. Whereas RNA, a little boosted there thanks to Gate Colossus, it went all the way up to 8 power and 8 toughness. <laughs> yeah, oh, that makes sense. I was looking at that, I was like, wow, what a huge difference. But no, you're right, it's just because of Gate Colossus. So I think the one of the big things to notice here is that we've got 85 creatures total at common and uncommon, which is about 20 to 25 less than we're used to. And that's because so many Planeswalkers are taking up spots at uncommon. So, you know, just sort of something to notice there. 54 of those 85 have power 2 or less, 40 of them have toughness 2 or less, and only 12 have toughness 1. So one of the things we look at for a lot of the time is like one toughness as a liability, and it just doesn't really come up a lot in this set. But it does feel like those creatures are totally going to get pwned. It does feel like there's still a lot of X1 hate running around. You know, last week I was sort of talking about the Banehound, the 1-1 lifelink haste about like, well, like if this is in the set, maybe it's here for a reason. It's hard for me to figure out what that reason is, because a lot of the one toughness creatures sort of do look like these irrelevant bodies, like these just one mana one ones that you wouldn't want anyway. So moving on to our converted mana cost statistics for creatures, the average converted mana cost of creature in War of the Spark is 3.14. And to compare to Ravnica Allegiance, it was 3.46 there. So a little bit cheaper cost for creatures on average. The median CMC is three. The mode CMC is three, so a little bit more expensive creatures than Ravnica Legions. Ravnica Legions mode for creatures was two. So on average, your creatures are costing three, and the range here is from one to six for CMC. So the most expensive creature you're going to find cost six. Yeah, so you know, on average, you're paying about three and a and change for a you know what? What do we think? A two point five three. I mean, it's almost like a like a three three. I mean, our, the rate for CMC to stats seems pretty good in this format. Yeah. Moving on to the removal, we've got uh, in our grading spreadsheet. We will have all the removal listed at common and uncommon. There are thirty total removal spells, and that's uh, including you know most you know sort of like fudging a little bit for some bounce and counter magic in blue. The average removal spell costs two point six, which is almost a whole half CMC less than Ravnica Allegiance, which was three point oh three. There are 16 removal spells at common and 14 at uncommon. And just a couple standouts in terms of looking at them at a whole. There's no pacifism effect in white, and there's no claustrophobia effect in blue. So we're not seeing that enchantment-based removal. There is sort of that like dwindle variant in blue, the two-mana aura that turns a creature into a 1-1 with uh, no abilities. But uh, other than that, you know, we're not seeing those effects, so that's something to keep in mind. There are four, as we talked about last week, there are four one and a red removal spells, but there's no big red removal spell. You know, we often see like a five CMC or a six CMC red removal spell that deals five or six. That's sort of like it's catch all removal spell. We're not really seeing that here. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And black, as it always does, has the lion's share of the catch-all removal. You know, black's removal suite is pretty deep and also pretty all-encompassing. Yeah, I think the removal, just when you look at it compared to most removal in recent sets, looks super efficient to me. At least the the very best removal spells of each color. Yes. Black has the two and a black, minus five, minus five at instant speed. Green has the two and a green fight spell where two of your creatures, not even fight, two of your creatures gang up and punch. Yeah, the card's great. Uh, and then red just has a lot of hyper efficient, smaller amounts of damage removal spells. You said like, you know, in the two to three range, but the removal looks pretty darn strong in the set. 
Yeah, I would say so. I think the only thing that really stands out to me is that Blue sort of got shafted, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, they, they have the, the bounce spell. But the bounce spell is a sorcery speed spell. So I, I think that's something to look out for. I, I still think Blue has some some pretty rock solid commons and uncommons, but I just don't know if it's a removal suite is going to get there like it sometimes does. And I do think the removal looks to match up very well against the creatures. Mm hmm. Yeah, I would say so. And I think one of the biggest questions going into the set for me is there's several removal spells that deal two damage, like Soren's Thirst for Black Black deals two damage to a creature and you gain two life. And there's a, like red spells that deal two damage. Chandra Pyrohelix. Yeah. Are those spells going to be good or not? I guess how good? I mean, they're going to be fine, you know, but sometimes two damage is really important in the set and sometimes it's not super important. And right now it sort of looks to be pretty important to me. There's a card called Trusted Pegasus. That's, I think, one of our top commons in white. Yeah, uh, it's two and a white for a two two flyer. That's going to be able to be picked off. There's sort of a Windrake card at common at blue that's very good that will be able to be picked off by those cards so i think learning how much those cards matter is going to be a big key early on in this format yeah i just wonder if you're going to be trading up on mana a lot of the time i mean some of the times when those cards are so good is like you know remember in corset when you could pick off the three two flyer for four mana with a shock i don't know if we're going to be doing that here i feel like yeah you're going to get to spend two mana to kill a three drop maybe but i don't think you're spending like two mana to kill a five drop a lot of the time yeah Certainly not until you get into Obnixless Cruelty territory. Yeah, for sure. So as we said before, there are only two mechanics, but we do want to look at the support for those mechanics uh, from the whole set. So we'll look at Proliferate first, which seems to be concentrated in the Bant colors, green, blue, and white. So there's seven cards at common that proliferate, three in green, two in blue, and two in white. There's five at uncommon, one in green, one blue, one white, and then one Selesnia and one Simic. Two at rare. There's one land and one green, and then one Simic card at Mythic. So that's a pretty good, you know, that's what you want to see for a supported mechanic. It tapers off as you get to higher rarities. So that's good. And there is a lot to proliferate on. So I, I made sure that all of these three numbers were uh, exclusive of one another. So we sort of had an idea of what there was in terms of counters to put on. There are 33 cards that can just have counters placed on them like creatures. And then there's 36 total Planeswalkers, so those can all be proliferated onto. And then there's 21 cards that make a mass. So that also is stuff that you can proliferate onto. So proliferate is very well supported here. That is insane. Yeah, it's a lot. Those are deep, deep, deep numbers. You know, when I was looking at proliferate cards, and I think we're going to talk about this when we get into some of our gradation differences or our top commons, it feels like a little bit like it might be troublesome to me just when i was looking at the set to get a plus one plus one counter on a creature but just looking at those numbers that's like a lot of things it's a lot of things yeah that very deep analysis folks it is a lot <laughs> a lot of things <laughs> all right moving on to a mass we have 10 cards at common with a mass four blue three red three black all in the grixis colors eight cards at uncommon two blue two black one red and then a gold card of each color pair and then four cards at rare, one blue, one black, one blue, black, and one black, red. And I think, you know, as far as a mass goes, the lords are going to be a huge part of a mass. Right. So there's a blue one that grants them flying. There's the red one that grants trample. And there's the black one that grants death touch. And there's the blue black one that might be the best out of them all that grants hexproof and menace. Yeah, so definitely those are linchpins, but I just think a mass is just good on its own. I think it's going to be a sweet mechanic. So I think there's two different ways it's sort of going to play out too, right? I mean, so theoretically, black-red wants to 
sacrifice its army tokens and kind of keep reusing them for value. And I think blue black a little more looks like it's trying to grow this giant zombie army token and crush your face with it. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see and we'll get into this a little bit more later. And we talked about this last week, but blue red where a mass also exists, that doesn't really seem to be the name of the game. It does seem like there's much more support for a spells matters theme there that may have like a sub theme of a mass because you know some spells make a mass tokens and i think a mass is just going to be good it's interesting that it's seated in that color pair but i don't know if that's what that color pair is trying to do well i think it's also a cool benefit that those are spells that are going to give you creatures without taking up a you know a spell slot right right you know what i mean so there's synergy there in that respect too yeah for sure So we're going to take a look at the sweepers in the format up next. And I got to say, I'm pretty happy here. They're only at rare and they're not very good. Um, So the the really best of the bunch in terms of a a wrath effect here is time wipe, which is two white, white, blue. um, And you return a creature you control to its owner's hand and then you destroy all creatures. So that's pretty dang good. That may be the best wrath we've ever seen for limited outside of something like Dune Blast. What's so funny? Yeah, right. It's, It's like Dune Blast for sure. It's so funny because this has to be way better for limited than it is for constructed (laughs) it's bonkers i was like shocked that you said not very good because time wipe is absolutely busted right but you know it's one card we're used to seeing you know we just came off a set with cry the carnarium which wasn't very good but like we're used to seeing at least some sort of uncommon mini sweeper or something that like deals one to everything there really isn't that in this set there's a couple other rares. There's Solar Blaze, which is uh, each creature fights itself. That's uh, two white red. There's Single Combat, which is like a Divine Reckoning variant. This is three white white, and each player like chooses a creature or Planeswalker they control and then destroys the rest, and then you can't cast a creature or Planeswalker until the end of your next turn. Not super good. Like those general, those sort of like cataclysm effects where you like choose one thing. That's not really the kind of sweeper you want. And then there's Massacre Girl, which I think everyone is familiar with. It's been uh, sort of the talk of the town for spoiler season. But this is uh, three black black for a four four with menace. And then it sort of like has the snowball effect. It ETBs and gives all creatures minus one minus one until end of turn. And then when if a creature dies, when that happens, then it triggers again. So it has this ability to to chain up from like killing X1s to X2s to X3s, etc. But it doesn't kill itself. So it has the ability to basically wrath the board except for herself. There's also another one that's very good that there's widespread brutality, which is one black, red, red, a mass oh, yeah. two. Then the army you amass deals damage equal to its power to each non-army creature. So potentially if you've got like a five five army or you're you know, you're amassing two onto some three three or four four army you've already got, you're plague winding the board and you're left with a five five or a six six, which is just totally busted and limited. A five five or six six with haste. Yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. All right. So I would categorize the sweepers as fairly plentiful at rare and fairly powerful. I think there's, well, I don't know about plentiful or powerful. I would say those two are good. I think Time Wipe and that one are good. I think Solar Blaze takes work. I think Single Combat is bad and Massacre Girl takes work. Yeah, Massacre Girl, I think is just good. Single Combat is bad. I agree. That moves us on to our next category of things to take a look at, which are X1 Punishers. As we noted earlier, there are not a ton of X1s in the set, but I do think they're going to get brutally punished. So Amass occasionally is going to punish X1s. What? It's just like they're going to get brutally punished, just savaging X1s from the start. They are. X1s are terrible. They're bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> so there's a mass that's occasionally going to punish X1s. The cards like Lazatep Reaver that's going to leave around a 1-2 and a 1-1. You know, if you're playing it on turn two, Vizier of the Scorpion is going to make a 1-1 zombie army token with Death Touch and then also going to have a 1-1 body lying around, although you're not really going to want to trade that off for an X1. There's Blind Blast that deals a damage to a creature and cantrips you, draws you a card. Chandra's Pyrohelix is going to be a total blowout if there's two X1s ever on your opponent's side of the battlefield. That's one in a red, deal two damage spread as you choose among any number of targets. There's a lot of playable 1-3 cards running around. We saw the average toughness was 3. If the average creature size is a 2-3, it sort of stands to reason that X1s are probably not going to be great. And there aren't, you know, we've sort of seen recently like random 3-1 vanillas running around. There are not any of that card in this type of set. Right, which also just sort of checks the the box of, I don't think there's really an aggro deck supported in this format. Right. And Pollen Bright Druid, my boy, uh, is also potentially going to leave a 1-1 body lying around if you use that in its proliferate mode. So just a, a bunch of different ways, I think, that X1s are not going to be great. And I think another clue to there not being a super aggressive archetype in this format is the amount of incidental life gain that exists. So it's funny, last week we talked about, oh, a Johnny's Pride Mate is here, and it's already printed in standard, so there's got to be some sort of life gain sub-theme. Well, not really. Pride Mate's the only life gain payoff in the set. And there's a handful of creatures with lifelink in the set, ranging from great to unplayable. And then there's quite a bit of just incidental life gain tacked onto stuff. You know, we talked about Soren's Thirst as a deal to gain to a lot of creatures that like come into play and gain you X amount of life or spells like Soren's Thirst that have life gain tacked onto them. We've got all of those listed in our show notes here for our fine patrons. But just keep in mind that, you know, in a format where there are planeswalkers, at such a plentiful rate. You know, you can think about your life total probably being a bit higher than normal. Ryan Sachs talked about that in his latest Star City Games article. Maybe your life total starts at, at a sort of relative or theoretical 23, 25, and then you've also got a bunch of this incidental life gain. I think that's all knocks against aggro decks being viable. Well, and there's not really an aggressive mechanic per se, and the two drops do not look super impressive across the board. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. If we're looking at proliferate and amass, these are both things that like want to snowball. These are not things that are like rewarding you for attacking. There's not really like a tokens theme. There's not anything that's like going wide. You know, we've got a couple hints at like previous aggressive Boros mechanics in a couple creatures, but nothing that's really like this is what this color pair is trying to do. I mean, it does look like blue red spells a little bit has the capability maybe to do damage in large chunks, sort mm -hmm. of similar to is it in GRN. That might be difficult to interact with, but not really like a truly curve out two drop into three drop. Like there's nothing like Boros from GRN. Right. Moving on to our next category of things to check out, we want to take a look at mana fixing as always. I think a really cool thing about this set is that most of the mana fixing is concentrated in green and or black green. So rather than just everyone getting to mana fix with the gates that we've had running around, it's sort of going to be relegated to just green or green black with a, a few other colorless ways to mana fix. So if we take a look at lands, there's Gateway Plaza, which I think is going to be much better here than it was in either GRN or RNA interesting yeah that's one of our highlighted cards that's a hot take <laughs> and there's interplanner beacon which is a land that fixes strictly for planeswalkers so maybe if you end up in a planeswalker deck with six seven planeswalkers lucky you uh interplanner beacon might be playable there's several artifacts floating around four of them to be exact some of them you know one shot uses some of them multiple uses to get you some different colors of mana but those cards are going to be you know a real cost to your deck i think taking you know maybe turn three turn four off to get the ability to mana fix. And then in green, we've got four cards, all of which are very good. 
Paradise Druid, three and a green for a two four. When it ETBs, you gain three life and it can tap to add one mana of any color. There's Paradise Druid, which is one and a green for a two one. Hexproof as long as it's untapped and can tap to add one mana of any color. New Horizons, which is back. Back and better than ever. Yeah, because of Proliferate. You put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. I bumped my grade up when I realized that. (laughs) (laughs) You can put a plus one plus one counter on target creature that can then be proliferated potentially and can tap to add double mana of any color. And then Jiang Yanggu is a Planeswalker, two and a green, three loyalty, and you can minus one to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. And his static ability is that creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them can tap to add one mana of any color. And then rounding it out, we were moving on to Golgari, where there's a couple other mana fixers. There's Leyline Prowler, which is one black green for a 2-3 Death Touch lifelink and taps to add one mana of any color. And then Death Sprout, which is one black black green for an instant to destroy a creature and rampant growth. You search your library for a basic land, put it into play, tapped. Yeah, so lots of good mana fixing, but I think, again, most of it, most of the good stuff is colored, either green or black. Yeah. Then we're going to take a look at Mana Sinks. This can sort of give us a clue as to maybe how many lands you want to run in a format, as well as some other sweet cards you might want to take a look out for. And there's not a ton, you know, looking at just common and uncommon. We've got about a little less than a dozen cards here. And some of them are just creatures with like some repeatable abilities that like, you know, don't really generate card advantage. That's something you generally want to look at for these cards. Like, do they generate an advantage? There's Merfolk Skydiver is one of the big ones I want to take a look at, which is green, blue for the one, one flyer. It enters the battlefield. You put a plus plus one counter on target creature you control, but it has three green, blue proliferate. So having a repeatable proliferate ability here is pretty big game. I think that's going to be a key uncommon, a super uh, sweet build around for sure. Um, there's Vivian's Grizzly, which we looked at a little bit last week. That's a uh, two and a green for a 2-3 and it has the activated ability of 3 and a green to look at the top card of your library and if it's a creature or planeswalker card you can put it into your hand so super slow but super repeatable way to generate card advantage yeah moving on to flying we always take a look at that that's sort of a key part of any limited format maybe even more so here because planeswalkers and evasion being able to you know attack down your opponent's planeswalker could be pretty great so 13 creatures with flying which is a similar number to what we've seen in the last several sets mm-hmm. uh, one that can grant flying to your zombie army tokens thanks to a mass that's the blue uncommon zombie lord so five of those are white four blue one black one blue white one blue green and one colorless card and there's a few flying uh hate cards running around there's forced landing that's sort of the green plummet variant that puts a creature with flying on the bottom of its owner's library there's snare spinner which is one and a green for a one three reach and whenever it blocks a creature with flying it gets plus two plus oh so that's maybe going to nab some of these two power flyers that we've seen out of the air arboreal grazer which is just terrible that's not really <laughs> flying hate uh, that's single green for an oh three with reach and what else does it do uh i think when it comes into play you can put a land from your hand onto the battlefield yeah and there's just a rock solid body in turret ogre that's uh, a four three reach with a minor etb ability yeah, so, I mean, it's it's less flying creatures than we're used to normally. You, normally we see like 18, but remember what we said at the beginning is that we're looking at about 20 to 25 fewer creatures than we're used to seeing as well. So I think it's a, a pretty appropriate number in comparison to the total number of creatures. And I think that's actually a pretty good amount of flying hate. I mean, it's it's out of mostly just green, but even the fact that red gets a reach creature I think is important as well. Looking at sacrifice outlets, you know, we were sort of hoping that red black sacrifice got there in this format, and I'm not sure that it did, but that does seem to be where all the shenanigans are concentrated. So there's three repeatable sources of sacrifice and three non repeatable all in red black, and there is that sort of six mana 
act of treason at Uncommon that we talked about last week. On Crop Invader is the cheapest one. This is two and a red for a 2-2. As long as it's your turn, it has first strike, but it has one sacrifice another creature and it gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. So that's sort of your, your best enabler and I think a good threat of activation there. But yeah, it just doesn't look like it's going to be the sacrifice deck in the sense of stealing your opponent's stuff and killing it. It might be a sacrifice deck in terms of, you know, sacking cheaper creatures that have lost their utility or sacrificing a mass, but I don't quite know how that deck is going to play out just yet. Yeah, and I think a, certainly a key card is going to be that one in a black raised dead of tar- return target creature and potentially one target planeswalker to your hand to sort of generate some value. So moving on to there's a little bit of a ferocious matters theme that's caring about power four or greater. There's seven cards. All of the benefits are in red green and there's a couple cards that punish them. Uh, The Wanderer is a white planeswalker that exiles creatures with power four or greater. And Dustmantle Operative is a black two drop that can't be blocked by creatures with power four or greater. You know, the the biggest build around is the Kiora Planeswalker and remains to be seen how good that's going to be. But I think that's certainly where you're going to start with this deck. If you're in red green, Kiora will probably be a high pick for you or maybe not a high pick. You'll probably get it late because you'll be the only one at the table that wants Kiora. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's sort of what red green is maybe looking to do. And we touched on this last week, but we have a few more pieces to the puzzle here about blue red spells matter. Still think Spell Gorger Weird is probably top of the heap here, which is the two and a red two two. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, you put a plus and plus one counter on it. It's pretty sweet that that triggers off of planeswalkers and also synergizes with proliferate. If you've got that from blue, you know, there's burning profit that tax scry one onto all of your spells. In addition to giving it plus one plus O onto its one three body Cyclops Electromancer is the one that uh, sort of flame tongue Kavu is a creature for the amount of instants and sorceries in your graveyard. There's Sahili, which is like a young pyromancer variant. There's Sky Theater Strix, which is one in a blue for a one-two flyer. Gets plus and plus O until end of turn when you cast a non-creature spell. I think there's quite a bit of support for this archetype. And there's quite a bit of support in terms of the enablers, especially with cards that cantrip or tack on proliferate, which I think will also be a, a big part of this deck as well. All right. And now it's time for my favorite part of the episode, argument time. <laughs> I can't wait. So I want to implement a rule here this time around, Ben. Oh, rules. I think the person with the lower grade, or no, I think the person with the higher grade should be the person to defend first. Oh, that's so that's so organized. That's so gentlemanly. How do we think about that? I think I'm going to lose track of that, but I'm willing to try. Okay, great. Let's let's give it a shot. Okay, so what we're, what we're doing here is we've graded all the cards and we've highlighted the ones where we've got the biggest grade difference. And we're just going to kind of go through in order a Wooberg. So first up here is Gideon's Sacrifice. I gave this a C minus. Ethan gave this an F. F. So the the onus is on me <laughs> to, to defend Gideon's Sacrifice. How could you not defend Gideon's Sacrifice? He's saving the entire plane of Ravnica. Yeah, I know. It's tough. Single white for an instant. Choose a creature or planeswalker you control. All damage that would be dealt this turn to you and permanents you control is dealt to the chosen permanent instead. I think this is just a really powerful effect. It's a narrow effect, but it's a really powerful effect. So assume you've got like some 1-1 one, one mass token lying around in white-black or your Lazatep Reaver 1-2 lying around. For a single white mana, you can blow out like an opponent using a combat trick in blocks or just absolutely savaging you in combat. And you still get to deal damage to their creatures. I think there are board states and scenarios where this card is going to be crazy powerful. And I think if this cost three and a white or something was more expensive, it would be totally unplayable. But the fact that it's just a single white mana, I think makes this a reasonable card to include as a one of in your white decks. 
I think the situations where this is good are so, so narrow. You're like describing, uh, I understand that this can be super powerful, right? Like they swing out three things at you, you block, and then you get to redirect all the stuff to one of your creatures. And oh God, yes, if it's an amass token or a creature you don't care about anymore, that's even better. That's still like a three for two. You're still not getting insane value there. And that is like the best case scenario for this card. I, I just don't think I'm ever going to put this in a deck. That's shocking to me. I, I I feel like I want, maybe not want, but I'm fine to put one of these in almost any white deck just because of the casting cost being so cheap. I think narrow effects like this are worse the more expensive they are. And since this one only costs one mana, it feels like you're going to be able to afford to leave it up to try to get one of those turns where there's going to be a blowout. That's such a, I don't know. I, I feel like that doesn't come up a lot. That's sort of like I swing out, flunge with everything and I have enough things to block. This is, there's a lot of setup costs and this still doesn't like, this still isn't like a huge like three for one or whatever. This is still going to kill one of your own things. Yeah, but you might have a planeswalker stuck on one loyalty. I just think there's enough and and combat's going to be happening more than normal, right? Because people are going to be trying to pressure planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. I just think this card, F seems totally unreasonable to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's F might be totally unreasonable. I don't think I'm ever going to cast this card. I think I'm going to be casting this card a fair amount. I think this card is fine. I think we'll just have to wait and see. All right. Up next, we've got Ironclad Crowbot. This is Wishcoin Crab. It's back. It's color shifted. Three and a white for a two five. I gave this a C minus and Ben gave it a D. I just think that Wishcoin Crab really impressed us in Guilds of Ravnica. And I think that was like kind of a sleeper. I think five toughness is going to be important. It's kind of going to be a house. I think this is going to be really good at protecting your planeswalkers. I think that this is just slightly above replacement level. That's why I gave it a a C minus and and kept it out of the D range. Yeah, I, I gave this a D. I think white red seems like it wants to try to be aggressive. White black doesn't seem to have much of an identity. White green wants to go wide and proliferate. White blue, who knows, like more proliferate. This just doesn't seem to have a ton of a home to me. Although, and Wishcoin Crab was similar, but, and I do agree there's some 4-4s four running around in green that this blocks. I just think this this is going to stay in the D range for me. I could be talked up to D+. plus. Okay. I mean, I I think this also may, I feel like it'll become apparent. Is this something that you're like, man, I just always include this in my deck or something that always stays on the sidelines. I think that's going to be apparent pretty quickly. Yep. Next up, we've got Trusted Pegasus. This is two and a white for a 2-2 flyer. When it attacks, target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. You give us a B, I give us a C plus. Yeah, so this is my front runner for best white common ahead of uh, some removal spells. I think this is a house. I don't know why Pegasus Courser is back to common and has an extra point of power, but I think it's going to be a real big problem. I think this is going to be the Planeswalker Slayer of the format. Except this dies to every single removal spell in the format. Dies to Doomblade is not a good argument for why a card should be downgraded. That just means it's good. It's, removal is going to target this? That doesn't mean it's bad. No, I agree. But I, I, I don't think it's going to run unchecked very often. So I think it's going to eat a removal spell pretty frequently. But I do agree it's a good card. I mean, I gave it a C plus. Yeah. All right. That's fair. I mean, does it pull me into white? Probably. Maybe it's a B minus. Yeah. I think it does pull you into white. Yeah. I, I can be convinced that it pulls me into white. B minus. Ding. Got him. Next up, we've got a bond of discipline. You gave us a B. <laughs> I gave us a D plus. We're sort of having role reversal here on this card. I know. It's interesting. This is four and a white for a sorcery. Tap all creatures your opponents control. Creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. I think you just still have PTSD from sleep in M19. A hundred percent. I have PTSD from sleep and declare dominance. But 
I think this card is really good. And I understand that's bad when you're behind, but a lot of cards are bad when you're behind. It's really good at parity. It's really good when you're ahead. I think it's even good in developing, like knowing that you can go three drop, four drop into this. It's going to kill Planeswalkers. It's going to provide a huge life swing. I think this card is going to be a real big problem a lot of the time. Okay, so you think, well, let's start. Is this better or worse than sleep? Worse. Okay, and did sleep make you want to draft a blue deck actively in M19? Well, it wasn't really supported, was it? Right, and I, I, I mean, I don't know that this is necessarily either. You're not first picking this card and thinking, yeah, I'm going to draft like my white creature full Bond of Discipline deck. I don't know. Maybe I am. <laughs> There's no way. I think it's a powerful effect. And I maybe I feel like maybe I'm not going to draft it highly, but it's going to wreck me like a B graded card does. I don't know. You just think this is bad. I think it's situationally good. You get I don't think this is D plus. Okay, that's like that's like below replacement level. I think Gideon's Sacrifice is better than this card. Or or they're similar effects. I think they're both situationally powerful effects. And Gideon's Sacrifice happens to cost one white. This costs four and a white. Oh, man, this card. But Gideon's Sacrifice doesn't win you the game. This wins you the game sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so many get, people are going to be, at least at the start of the format, are going to be board stalling so hard in this format. And this is going to wreck every single person that just wants to turtle up. I will not go higher than C on this card. That's a pretty big increase. D plus up to C. I'll take it. I, I'm not saying I would. No. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm going to stick around at D plus. I, this card's going to have to do a fair amount of work to impress me. All right. I, I'm interested to check in on both this and Gideon's Sacrifice. Next up, we've got Gideon's Triumph. You gave this a C. I give this a D plus. So you're defending again. I must have been I must have been in a bad mood. <laughs> when i was doing my grades so this is one and a white for an instant target opponent sacrifices a creature that attacked or blocked this turn if you control a gideon planeswalker that player sacrifices two of those but gideon is a mythic so it's not going to come up super often yeah i mean i think this is fine i'm not taking this over the other common removal spell that's the divine arrow which is the one and a white deal four to an attacker or blocker but, you know, we've seen, what, it was a Celestial Flare in the past, and that card was totally fine. You can often set up, if you if they're attacking with multiple things, you can maybe set up a combat where you can block a thing, have it die, and then Gideon's Triumph picks off the other creature that you wanted to take care of. Like, I think this is fine. It's not bad. I think this is above replacement level. Yeah, you're right. It's a C. You got your, you your Wing Shards command all ready to go? <laughs> yeah, it never left. It's always relevant. The last white card we're going to take a look at here is the Wanderer, which I'm actually excited to talk to you about because uh, Travis talked me up on this yesterday. This is three and a white for a five loyalty walker. Prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and other permanents you control and minus two exile target creature with power four or greater. So I was initially with you on sideboard grade, but then Travis got me thinking not only about the ferocious stuff that exists, but about a mass, which is pretty good. You know, if your opponent's spending multiple things to get their amass token up to four or more, that's pretty sweet. And proliferate is so abundant that I think even looking at creatures being small in the set, I don't think it's going to be a lot to ask of your opponent for them to be working to get their creature bigger from a 2-2 up to a 4-4 or whatever, where I think this is going to have some targets, not to mention that the static ability is somewhat relevant against red decks. Yeah, I hear all that. I just I just look at it as like a crazy powerful sideboard card. I would be shocked if I started the Wanderer. I mean, and it'll become really obvious, I think, you know, a week into the format, whether it's a card you want to start or a really good sideboard card. But for now, I'm going to lean towards taking it out of the sideboard. Yeah, that, that's fair. Moving on to blue, we've got Kiora's Dam Breaker. And continuing our trend here, Ethan gave us a C. I gave it a D. 
So Cure's Dam Breaker is five and a blue for a five six. When it ETBs, you proliferate. Maybe C is generous. Maybe C minus. So there's a lot of just like random six drops in the format. And this was the one as I was going through from in Wooberg order. This was the first one that jumped out at me as like, this is like pretty good stats. Six mana, five, six. And ETB proliferate, just like no mana invested. is pretty nice as a curve topper if you've got some like counter synergies going on. So maybe it needs like a synergy C grade instead of just a straight up C. Maybe it needs to be C minus. I just think this card looks like it's not embarrassing in in terms of any of its stats i'll go d plus i don't think it's great i mean it's fine you're hoping to not play this in your six drop slot though i think i don't know i don't know if that's true i, I think maybe more often than not you're hoping to not play it that's fair but like it doesn't how, how much do you need to get out of the proliferate for this to be good if you get a counter two counters this is huge a five six is huge this even dodges obnixilis's cruelty that's fair all right c minus you talked me up right there all right. c minus Next up, we've got Relentless Advance. This is three and a blue for a sorcery, a mass three. I gave this a synergy C. Ben just gave this a straight up D. Wow, I'm doing a lot of defending here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not crazy about this card. I'm not crazy about a mass on its own. I think that if you are like all in on a mass, if you've got some of the lords, if you've got a lot of like incidental a mass, like the Windrake that makes a 1-1 or the 1-2 in black that makes a 1-1, I think that this gets better because it's hasty. Turning that, because it, it's not like a hill giant, right? I don't think this is good as just a four mana 3-3. Three, three. I think this is good when you've already got the 1-1 lying around and it's like, boom, this is now a 4-4 four, four haste. Okay, let me, let me ask you this. So this card is either, can I just say, can I just say every time I, I I get so excited when you start a sentence, let me ask you this. <laughs> because you think you're gonna crush me? No, no, no. I just I just because I feel like you're ready. You're like, I got I know what I'm gonna do to crush him. Yeah, I've this, got yeah, you. I've I got know. you pinned. Exactly. You're in, you're in the you're in the jaws of my trap. That's right the now. Ben Wernie checkmate <laughs> phrase. Let me ask you this. <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Rollos Advance is either a hill giant. Or a four mana Oaken form. Like, are you excited about either of those cards? An Oaken form that can only go on one of your creatures specifically. <laughs> like, it doesn't have the option to go anywhere else. Okay, I see what you're, I see what you're saying. <laughs> right? Like, that's not uh, yeah, a good you're right, card. You're right. That's not a good card. Okay, D. E even in a mass deck, that's not exciting. We got him with the catchphrase. <laughs> you got me. You got me. Next up, we've got Teferi's Time Twist. You gave us a D plus. I gave us a C, so my turn to defend. Teferi's Time Twist is one and a blue for an instant. Exile target permanent you control. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. If it enters the battlefield as a creature, it enters with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. So I think this card is sort of like a very flexible negate. And negate is sometimes a really good card when you get to bring it in another sideboard, right? So I think you're playing Teferi's Time Twist when you have planeswalkers that you're going to want to reset or things like that so that you can cast it without having to wait for your opponent to do something to get value. So, you know, you down tick your planeswalker twice, you Teferi's Time Twist, and you're essentially rebuying that planeswalker for two mana, which is really powerful. Plus, this has the added utility of acting as a negate that's maybe going to give your creature, you know, a plus one, plus one counter. And I think all of that adds up to a fine card. Yeah, and also you can sort of get your opponent if they're attacking your Planeswalker, if they're trying to finish it off, and then you get to go, nope, reset it. I get to fog and then reset my Planeswalker. I didn't quite consider that when I gave this card a grade. Yeah, maybe the maybe you're just like always playing the first copy of this. It just seems, yeah, it seems like a fine... It's also a spell in a color that cares about casting spells, you know, if you're in the blue-red deck. All right, I'll go up to C. Got him. You see why? I think the, def I think the defending the higher grade is the way to go here. 
Moving on, we've got one uncommon we want to look at here. It's Lazatep Plating. This is one in a blue for an instant. A mass one. You and permanence you control gain hexproof until end of turn. I get this a sideboard grade. You get this a C plus. This card is great. You love these effects. You love anything that gives your whole board indestructible. You get that warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> I know I can't lose. I can't possibly get unlucky. Yeah. But seriously, though, so I think the fact that this card is uncommon is a nod to how powerful it is. And I think a mass can get out of control in a hurry. And one of the biggest drawbacks of a mass is that you've got all your eggs in one basket. So knowing that, you know, you can protect your 5-5 a mass or your 8-8 a mass or whatever, I think is pretty big game. Not to mention you're getting a 1-1 body along with it or putting a plus. Like this is this is sort of like feat of resistance for your a mass creature. Yeah, I it's sort of like feat of resistance, except feat of resistance was a combat trick. Like it could protect from the thing. This just gives hexproof. This doesn't give indestructible. No, but I mean, you're getting a plus one plus one counter also. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine to give this more of like a synergy grade. Like when you talk about like, all right, when I'm protecting my my five, five, my six, six, a mass token. Yeah, I'm into that. Like if I'm going all in on a mass, I would like a way for them to not be able to get me. So I'd put it in that deck, but I don't think I'm just running this in every blue deck. No, I agree. I think it's a blue, black, gold card. Okay, so then it can't be a C plus. All right, Synergy C plus, Synergy C. Fine, Synergy C. That's going to move us on to black. First card we're going to take a look at here is Kaya's Ghost Form. We got another hot take from Ethan here. Single black for an aura, chant creature or planeswalker you control. When enchanted permanent dies or is put into exile, return that card to the battlefield under your control. I gave this an F. Ben gave this a Synergy D plus. Yeah, I just don't think it's impossible for this card to be playable and to maybe even be like a very strong role player in the black red sacrifice deck. Again, like, you know, if you've got powerful planeswalkers to put it on there, down ticket twice, sacrifice it, it comes back for essentially only one mana invested. I think this card has a lot of upside to it. I think it's a really narrow card, but I do think it could potentially be playable and even, you know, good in the black red sacrifice deck. I don't know. I, I'm going to fall back on one of my favorite phrases, which is don't put bad cards in your deck to make your good cards better. Like I know that it's tempting to be like, well, I've got two great planeswalkers. So why don't I put this in my deck to like protect them? Why don't you just put good cards in your deck to protect your planeswalkers? This card is just so dead so much of the time. But I don't think that's true when you have the ability to sacrifice your stuff, like especially to be able to sacrifice a planeswalker. But there aren't good sacrifice outlets. Mm, there are there are at common. I mean, they're running around. There's three repeatable sacrifice outlets at common in black and red. Yeah, I I'm not convinced. I I'll be I will be curious to see how many times you cast this card in this format i mean i could see running this as a one of in the black red sacrifice deck i don't think it's totally unplayable like d d minus i recognize it's not a good card but like we've seen this effect before and it'd be terrible but i think there's a whole deck that wants this card maybe yeah maybe i don't know i'm not i'm not convinced that that deck exists i'm not convinced that the black red sacrifice deck is like really gonna get there that's fair so I guess maybe if it does, this becomes a little bit better than an F. This is not a card I'm going to seek out, and I think it's going to end up on the sidelines most of the time. That's fair. I, I would agree. All right, Lazatep Behemoth is up next. This is four and a black for a 5-4. Keyword huge. I gave it a C, Ben gave it a D. This card's terrible. You're not going to ever want to put this card in your deck. Absolutely I am. This card is so big. No. This is, yes, well, yes, it is big. You cannot deny it. And secondly... <laughs> I, well, I mean, maybe C is too strong. Maybe it's a C minus. I do think this is above replacement level, though. I think I will want one of these in most black decks. 
this format is like riddled with synergy and raw power and this card has none of those <laughs> qualities <laughs> all right that's fair that's fair this is not powerful all right i'll go i'll go d plus thank you you're welcome thank you <laughs> Next up, we've got Dread Malkin. This is a Synergy C from me and a D plus from you. So probably like we're seeing maybe about the same thing here, but yeah. I think this is an interesting one to talk about. So this is a single black for a 1-1 one, one Menace, and you can pay two and a black, sacrifice another creature or Planeswalker to put two plus one plus one counters on it. So I think this has several things going for it. It's a 1-1 one, one Menace, which is going to be able early in the game to potentially pressure Planeswalkers or force your opponent you know, to leave two creatures back if they don't want you to be able to attack their Planeswalker. And then the threat of activation on this is also pretty real. So your opponent doesn't know whether in the middle of combat you're going to sacrifice something to take out their Planeswalker or whatever. I think this card just has enough going for it and the fact that there's a black-red deck that maybe wants you to have things to sacrifice running around. This looks like a good payoff, you know, if I sacrifice my Lazatep Reaver and my 1-1 token, all of a sudden I've got a 5-5 Menace without much invested. I think there's enough going on here that this could be a really good card in the black-red deck. Right, but you got to be a little scared about doing that into open mana, which is like, this isn't free to do. But I hear what you're saying. I, I, I can go up to Synergy C. I think, again, I think we were saying about the same things. I think you're just a little more optimistic about this black-red sacrifice deck getting there than I am. Yep. Liliana's Triumph is the last black card we're going to take a look at. This is one and a black for an instant. Each opponent sacrifices a creature, and if you control a Liliana Planeswalker, each opponent also discards a card. Again, Liliana is mythic. That's not going to come up very often. I gave it a C. You gave it a D+. I don't think there's a lot that punishes Edict Effects. This is going to be good on turn two to just pick off whatever their two-drop is or their first creature there's not really a lot of tokens running around. So like you're going to get a, a card at some point. And even if you're getting in a mass token that they've invested, you know, a couple of mass triggers into, that's still fine. I, I think this card is good. What if they have a Lazatep Reaver, a Pollen Bright Druid? There's going to be bodies laying around in this format. I, I, I'm going to stand by Edict Effects are not good and limited. I do not want to put this card in my deck. Okay, we'll see. I mean, I think I will side it out aggressively against those things. And maybe those things are more plentiful than I think they are. But I think you basically just named the two that exist. <laughs> but isn't the fact that those two exist and are good playable cards like enough to make you not want to main deck this card? I don't think so. Mm, I don't know yeah. about that. Well, All right, we'll moving see. onwards to red. First up, we've got a Raging Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> ben, please. This is a wholesome. <laughs> it's a wholesome podcast. I was pretty excited when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> You give us a C plus, I give us a synergy C minus. This is two and a red for a four three that can't attack alone. Tell me why you're high on this card. Okay, so the first time I read this, I thought this was Mog Flunkies, but it's not. You know this can block. Oh, snap. Yeah. Wow. This card is good. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm in. C plus. That, that, I, 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 that's why I wanted to lead with that because I thought that you might have made the same mistake I did. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, this card is just huge. And the fact that it can block, it doesn't, you doesn't need anything else to be able to protect your planeswalkers, which it's going to do quite nicely. Next up, we've got Sarkin's Catharsis. This is four and a red for an instant, deals five damage to target player or planeswalker. You gave us a sideboard grade. I give us a D plus. So this is Lava Axe with upside. Yeah, I think, so my feeling is that a lot of the planeswalkers in this format, or a lot of the planeswalkers you're going to see are going to be uncommon ones, right? And most of those, I think, are not ones that are going to create many games like we talked about a couple weeks ago. I think a few of them do, but a lot of them, I think, you know, they're going to get two activations unless you're proliferating them up. So they're going to get a couple activations before they're done. And I think the fact that they get one activation immediately 
means that for me to want to have Sarkon's Catharsis as a card's worth of value to like shoot a Planeswalker down after they've already gotten some sort of value out of it, the thing has to be pretty good. So I think we have to be looking at like rares and mythics at that point. So I feel like I want to see those before I decide to bring this in. But if your deck wants a Lava Axe, you're going to put this card in your deck, right? I mean, maybe D. Right, but how? I just, I guess I, I don't know what, how many decks or what decks want Lava Axes, I guess. Right, not a great card. I, I think we're saying the same thing. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. We got to talk about Bolt Bend again. We do because we didn't get into our arguments and I've got my arguments loaded up. Great. So Bolt Bend is three in a red for an instant. It costs three less to cast if you control a creature with power four or greater. And you can change the target of target spell or ability with a single target. So you give us a sideboard grade. I give us a synergy C+. I think if you have, you know, for example, Raging Crunches running around, Bolt Bend is a card that you're going to be happy to put in your main deck. I don't think you're picking it highly. I don't think it pulls me into red. But I think once you're in, it's probably a red, green, gold card. And I think once you're in red, green, it's just a very good card. One mana, blank your opponent's removal spell, and then two for one them with it to kill their own creature is a really good card in a game of limited. And the fact that it's only one mana most of the time in that red green deck makes it a good card. Uh, Again, I just I think I want to make sure that this is good in the matchup before I put it in my deck. And I understand like people are going to be playing removal. And so it's not crazy. People are going to be playing planeswalkers. You can redirect some abilities there. I just think I want to make sure I see those things so I know what I'm doing with this before it's just dead in my hand. No way it's going to be dead in your hand. Card's great. I think you're way too high on this card, but we will see. But I don't don't think I'm that high on it. I think it goes in the red green deck, and I think it's a card you're going to play once you're in that deck. Right. And I think that's too high. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bond of Passion is next. This is four red red for a sorcery. This is our act of treason. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature. It gains haste until end of turn. Bond of Passion deals two damage to any other target. I gave this a C minus. You gave this a B minus. Yeah, I think the fact that this is uncommon and so expensive is a nod to how powerful it is in the set. I mean, for seven mana, you could be stealing your opponent's thing, sacrificing it, potentially killing another thing. It's a lot of mana. I'm probably a little high on this. I I didn't really realize that there weren't any free sacrifice outlets. I think if there were free common sacrifice outlets, this would be a lot better, probably more close to the grade I'm giving it. So I I probably need to come down a tad. I just think six mana is so much for an effect like this. Yeah, you probably can get a two for one out of this, but you got to work for that two for one. Yeah, I'm going to go down to C. Our last red uncommon here is Devouring Hellion. This is two and a red for a 2-2. As Devouring Hellion enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice any number of creatures and or planeswalkers. If you do, it enters with twice that many plus and plus one counters on it. I give it a C minus, you gave it a C plus. Yeah, I think this card's just got a lot going on. I mean, theoretically, you're going to want to be sacrificing things in the red black deck. You know, for example, if you play Lazatep Reaver into this, you've got a three mana 4-4. Four, four, yeah. And then you've also got the ability to proliferate. I think all that just adds up to a powerful card in the red black sacrifice deck well except red and black don't proliferate details <laughs> maybe your opponent will be generous with their proliferate triggers that's right yeah i mean that's a, certainly a pretty sweet one-two punch maybe maybe a synergy c plus for this for me all right i'm into that synergy c plus it's gonna move us on to green where we had no real differences at common ben green is good green is great it's about time that green got some good cards and limited and i think also super cool that we don't have many great differences just a nod to like how obviously powerful yeah cards are right yeah yeah this first one we don't really have to talk about i'm just wrong about it uh triumph is green green for a sorcery search for library for up to two basic forest cards 
If you control in as a planeswalker, you can instead search for three land cards, but uh, either way, you reveal them and put them into your hand, then shuffle. I gave it a C minus, you gave it a D minus. That's about right. This card is not good. Yeah, the card's terrible. Next up, we've got Storm the Citadel. You gave us an F, I gave us a D. This is four and a green for a sorcery until end of turn. Creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player or a planeswalker, destroy target artifact or enchantment that player controls. So I was sort of looking at this as like a really terrible overrun. <laughs> I knew you were going to be higher on this. <laughs> I don't know. What does that mean? Well, but like, do you, you remember how bad, whatever, overjog, underrun was from, uh, from Hour of Devastation? Yes. And that was in a format where like go wide was a thing. That's not even a thing here. Well, RD's label for green white is like green white proliferate go wide. How are they going wide? Going wide with what? Yeah, there aren't really token generators. Uh, this card's not great. I don't think it's an F. D minus? I guess it has text. It is not literally unplayable, but I think you would be wise to never play this. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good card. D minus, sure. Moving over to colorless. I'm really excited to get you on this first one. <laughs> okay. This is Iron Bully. I give us a C plus. You give us a C minus. This is three colorless mana for a one one with menace. And when it ETBs, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Okay. Oh, so I'm defending, right? I have the higher grade. <laughs> so I think there's several things going on here. I think three mana, two, two menace. It's just a good card in a format where you're going to want to be pressuring planeswalkers because this is forcing your opponent to leave back two creatures if they don't want you to be able to do two to their planeswalker, which is on most of the uncommon ones is another activation. Like, so you're essentially knocking off their second activation of their uncommon planeswalker. Mm -hmm. Then it's got synergy with proliferate, which is great. I think like you're potentially turning it into a three or four powered menace creature, which is just a very good card. So I think all of that adds up to a card that's powerful and colorless. And I think it's going to make this a fairly high pick. Yeah, I'll go up to C. I'm not like, I don't dislike this card. Uh, I don't know. I just don't know about, I don't know about a 2-2 two, two Menace. And I guess it's just flexible. Like you can just always can come in and put a counter on something else and make that relevant. Yeah. All right. It's colorless. C plus. I'm, I'm in. Boom. We got him. Next up, we've got Gateway Plaza. You gave us a D plus. I gave us a C. So Gateway Plaza is the gate that comes into play tapped. And whenever it enters the battlefield, you have to pay one or sacrifice it. And then it can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Yeah, I mean, there's no gate synergies, and I don't really think that you're trying to splash a lot in this format. I don't know. That's just my general sense. Maybe if you're getting like a bunch of sweet planeswalkers, you are. I think there's a lot of really good uncommon gold cards that you're going to want to splash for. And this is the only way non-green or non-green black decks have to splash that's semi-efficient. There's artifacts. But I don't think those are as good as this. Hmm. Uh, I could go up to C minus, I guess. I'd just be interested. I'm not sure, you know, you're still taking the turn off when you do this, which I feel like makes me feel a little bit of a yikes in a format where I think board presence is going to be so important. And I just don't know how often I'm going to be trying to splash. I feel like green has this like identity of splashing. It's built into the color. And I don't know how often and when I'm in white black, am I going to want to splash red for just one card? Or am I going to want to like invest a lot of cards into making sure that I can then splash three cards? Uh, I just don't have a good sense of that yet. So I, that's why I gave this a, a lower grade. I mean, I really strongly disliked Gateway Plaza in the last two sets, and I I, I feel like it's going to be better here. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe maybe like the fact that you missed your land drop and you have to pay one is too punishing in this format. Mm -hmm. I could That could certainly be the case. Well, that'd be one to keep an eye on. Yeah. Okay. I'm into that. All right. We're going to talk about Ugin's Conjurant here. This is an uncommon. It's X mana for a zero zero. It enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. If damage would be dealt to it, while it has a plus one plus one counter on it, you prevent that damage and then remove that many plus one plus one counters from it. Uh, I gave this a C. You gave it a D plus. 
Yeah, I in, I initially gave us an F, and then I saw whoa. your guys' grades, and I was like, whoa, did I totally misevaluate this card? And I think I did, so that's why I wanted to talk about this card. So tell me why this card's good. I'll talk about like the awkward part of it, which is like when you cast it as a three three, it can't. You're like then not happy to block a two two or like get in combat with a two two because then this become it kills the two two and then becomes a one one, whereas a normally a three three would be okay. Like it would just stay a three three, so that's not great. But like if you can cast this as like a five five or whatever, and then proliferate exists and you can like maybe get counters up on it again and again, even when it down ticks, like. It's going to be pretty good. I think this is just going to be a fine creature. And the fact that it's so flexible in terms of along the curve, I think that's also going to be good. Yeah, that all sounds right to me. And I think when I looked at it at first, I was thinking, oh, this is just terrible. It's like a Hearthstone card, you know, where its toughness yeah. doesn't heal. But I think, you know, if you, if you can try to set up getting it into combat, you know, if it's a 3-3 three, three with a 3-3 three, three or blocking, you know, you control when it blocks and you're going to control when it attacks. And if it's a 4-4 four, four and your opponent, you know, if it kills their 2-2, two, two, it already got a card's worth of value and then you still have a 2-2 two, two sticking around. I think it's going to be much easier than I thought at first glance to get a card's worth of value out of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's certainly not ideal playing against red, right? Like a burn spell. If even this is a 5-5, then a burn spell turns this into a 3-3 a three, three or a 2-2. Two, two. But I think most of the time this is, is going to be good. Right. But then it got its card and you still have a body lying around. I exactly. mean, that's not that's not that bad. Right. So I think I was just like way wrong about it because the text on it is negative text. I just thought it was bad. And I don't I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I agree. All right. We got a handful, not as many as you might think, a handful of gold cards to take a look at here. The first one is Ashiok <laughs> Dream Render, our annual or not our semi-annual Lords of Illuminated argument about me thinking a mill card is super sweet and Ethan thinking it's terrible. I give us a build around C plus. Ethan gave this an F. So Ashiok is one Demir Demir hybrid mana for a five loyalty planeswalker. Spells and abilities your opponent control can't cause their controller to search their library. And minus one target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, then exile each opponent's graveyard. So I think, you know, this maybe is a win condition in a dedicated control or mill deck, which is why I gave it a synergy C plus. This card's playable. You're going to put this card in your deck some point later in the format and you're going to try to do the thing. So here's my problem with this card. One, there is not a mill deck. There is nothing else in this format that cares about milling. That's exactly right. Ashiok is your mill deck, which does it all. <laughs> but you can't have multiples of them. So it's not even a thing where you can be like, well, I'll get all like all three Ashioks that get opened at the table. I get them because you can't have multiples of them in play. So you're just relying on this one to do the thing. And it doesn't even do the thing itself. It only mills 20. So you've got to like proliferate onto it and protect it. This card is awful, Ben. <laughs> No, this card's fine. I mean, it's not. It's look. It's not a good card. You shouldn't be taking it to try you to improve your win rate. Never play this card. I mean, if you're trying to keep your win rate as high as possible, and that's, that's what we're true. trying to do for our listeners. I suppose so, but look. <laughs> I refuse to give this an F because I'm going to be playing Ashiok Dream Render. And I think you are too about a month and a half into the format. I don't think so. I think if there were any support I could get behind this card or if it if I could see it milling, like if it had if it milled five, even if it just milled five, like if you had to do no work other than protect it and I could see it winning, fine. But you have to even do more work than this card is doing to kill your opponent by decking them. Look, it's not a good card. It's really bad. Dovin Hand of Control is up next. Speaking of really bad cards. Oh, baby. Uh, this is two and a Azorius hybrid for a five loyalty walker. Artifact, instant, and sorcery spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast. And then as minus one, until your next turn, prevent all damage that would be dealt to and dealt by target permanent and opponent controls. So I gave this a C, you gave it a D. 
Here's where I'm at with this card. It's a three mana planeswalker for five loyalty, which is quite a bit. And it protects, like it takes care of one thing and protects your other planeswalkers. By taking care of a threat over X number of turns, it's also taking care of that threat at not only attacking Dovin, but attacking you and your other planeswalkers. So I think it's gonna do a bit of work if you've got, Dovin on its own is not exciting to me, but Dovin in conjunction with other Planeswalkers is pretty exciting to me. And I don't think you can get a lot. I don't think you can ask for much more from an uncommon Planeswalker that's three mana, five loyalty. Well, except I would say that they're still going to be able to block with the creature that you put this on to. So that means you're you're not, assuming you're targeting a good creature with this that's better than your creatures, you're not going to be mounting any sort of offense over the next five turns, which is not great. And I think if you have the best creature on the battlefield, you don't need Dovin at all. So it's irrelevant in that scenario. So the only time you're using Dovin is when you want to fog a creature for five turns. And or, so if this red, like gain two life, gain three life, gain five life over five turns, I don't think that's a good card. Fog a creature for five turns is essentially like remove that creature or whatever. You're you're using that like, you know, old Kiora ability on that creature. I get that it can still block, but you are like neutralizing it in some way over five turns. That's a lot. But it can still block. You're not removing it. It's no, like, I know. This is a terrible removal spell. I, I, but I'm, so what I'm not saying is that it's a removal spell, but I'm saying that it has an effect on the game that I think is good if you are looking to defend other things. If you're trying to pressure your opponent, obviously this card is bad, and I get that pressuring your opponent is something you need to do in limited, but I think if you've got other things worth protecting, that I think this card is good. Okay, this card, so there's there's one in a white instant speed, deal four damage, target attacking or blocking creature. This card is infinitely worse than that card. No, it's not, because it scales with the game. I disagree with that pretty strongly. I know that once I see this in play, I will know if I ha am anywhere close to right on this card, so we can revisit this. Okay, for sure. Next up, we've got Heartwarming Redemption. You gave this a D, I gave this a C. Heartwarming Redemption is two red-white for an instant. Discard all the cards in your hand, then draw that many cards, plus one. You gain life equal to the number of cards in your hand. This card's fine. I mean, I don't love it. It's pretty off plan for what red white's doing. I think it's probably more likely a splash in maybe like a red blue spells deck or something like that, where later in the game, you're going to be able to discard a couple lands and like refill hopefully with action. Because one of, one of the things that red blue deck struggles with sometimes if you're cantripping a lot is that you get flooded out a little bit. The life gain is nice. I mean, I don't love this card. I don't hate it. Yeah, I think my issue with this one is that it's so off plan for red white. And two, that it's worse than the Tormenting Voice variant that we have in, in red. There's like the two in a red Tormenting Voice, a mass one. That, that's just better than this. Yeah, you're right. I think this card is poopy. All right, I'm down. D. Mayhem Devil is up next. This is one black red for a 3-3. Three, three. This is just the summary of this episode is Ben wants red black to be a sacrifice to be a thing, and I don't. This is one black red for a 3-3. Three, three. Whenever a player sacrifices a permanent, Mayhem Devil deals one damage to any target. I gave it a C. You gave it a B-. minus. Yeah, I think three mana 3-3 three, three is totally fine. The ability is all upside. It's going to go in that deck. You're going to be getting triggers off of it. If you ever get two triggers, you're really going to be doing it. I think all that adds up to a card that pulls me into red black. This just looks like the the ogre brawl bash ogre or whatever from corset 19 that was a sweet uncommon it looked like it was doing the thing it looked like sacrifice with a thing and then it just wasn't and i would argue that there looked like there was better sacrifice stuff to be doing in that set than there does in this set yeah that's fair c plus yeah i just don't yeah i think this i agree with you like good stats good ability i just don't think it looks like it's supported all right c plus rubble belt rioters what's this card this is one red green for an O4 with haste, and whenever it attacks, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. I gave us a C, you gave us a D plus. 
I think this card is going to do work in the red green deck. I mean, ostensibly, you're going to want to play a lot of creatures with four power or more in that deck. Maybe some raging crunches running around. <laughs> I just said, I just said it in a normal tone of voice, Daniel. I know it's just a funny. It's a funny name. It's a funny name. So yeah, I think all of that adds up to this is a card that you're going to want in your red green deck. I mean, maybe it's attacking for two haste power on turn three if you're curving out with it. And then the next turn it's swinging in for four or more potentially with your four drop. I get that you have to have creatures on the battlefield for it to do anything. But I think if your red green deck doesn't have creatures on the battlefield, you're probably losing anyway. Yeah, I think haste is just such a big game with this card too. I'm fine. I'm going to move up to C. C plus is too low. That's it. That's all our arguing, except... We're probably going to get to argue a little bit here. Yeah, a little bit, but we have a lot less hot takes in our top commons this time around. That's true. So we're going to lay out our top three commons and top two uncommons for each color. What do you got going on in white? Number three, I've got Divine Arrow. That's one in a white for the instant. Deal four damage, target attacking or blocking creature. I am in agreement there. Number two, I've got Law Rune Enforcer. This is a single white for a one-two. You can pay one and tap it to tap target creature with CMC two or greater. That is my number one white common. And my number two, which I'm sure is your number one, is Trusted Pegasus. That's two and a white for the two-two flyer that jumps another creature into the air with it when it attacks. Yep. Those three commons are great. Yeah, they're very good. I think Law Rune Enforcer, I have as number one because it gets so good in multiples. Mm -hmm. Like it's been a long time since we've had a tapper at common and it only costs one mana to activate if you have two of these your opponent is just not going to be able to do anything yeah it's gideon's Lawkeeper. it's very strong what about uh, your uncommons uncommons i've got our lords of limited preview card in the number two slot grateful apparition that's one and a white for the one one that when it deals damage to an opponent or a planeswalker you get to proliferate onto your team yep i'm there as well and i have to imagine we're in agreement for number one i have prison realm this is two and a white for an enchantment that's like an oblivion ring variant but it exiles a creature or planeswalker until it leaves the battlefield and it also when it comes into play has scry one yeah as if it wasn't good enough just <laughs> scry one tacked on there yep Moving on to our blue commons. These were a little hard to decide on for me. In the number three slot, I've got Erratic Visionary. That's one and a blue for the one three looter that has one and a blue tap, draw a card, discard a card. Yeah, I have that as my number two. In my number three slot, I have Callous Dismissal. This is one and a blue for a sorcery return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand and a mass one. Yeah, that's my number two slot. And then at number one, I've got Aven Eternal. That's two and a blue for the two two flyer that also has a mass one tacked onto it, which just seems super busted. Yeah, that card's great. That's also my number one blue common. Was there any love for like the Thunder Drake or whatever it was, the, the three and a blue two three flyer that whenever you cast your second spell in a turn, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on it? Yeah, so I had a real hard time with my third one. I felt pretty good about Aven Eternal and the looter. And then I didn't know because I'm not actually that excited about the bounce spell, but I'm I'm just going to sort of trust that bounce is good, even if it's sorcery speed. I like Thunder Drake. I like the three mana essence scatter variant. I kind of like Sky Theater Strix. Like there's a lot of other commons that I feel like could have this third slot. Yeah, Thunder Maw, the Thunder Drake, whatever it's called, is, is another one I've got my eye on. And I think I probably am too high on Callous Dismissal because it's really good against a mass, right? But only if your opponent's going ham on a mass. And other mm -hmm. than that, like it's just sort of fine. Like the one one body is not crazy relevant. So yeah, I'm interested to see how the blue commons shake out. Yeah. Uh, looking at the uncommons, uh, number two, I've got the Lords of Limited preview card, Rescuer Sphinx. It's two blue blue for the three two flyer. When it ETBs, you can return a non-land permanent you control to its owner's hand. And if you do, it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. 
That one didn't make the cut for me. There's a lot of strong blue uncommons. My number two is Kazmina Enigmatic Mentor. Three and a blue for the five loyalty Planeswalker. Spells your opponent's cast that target a creature or Planeswalker you control. Cost two more to cast and minus two to create a 2-2 blue wizard creature token and then draw a card and discard a card. Yeah, super powerful card there. That was uh, in contention for me as well. I imagine we're in agreement with number one. I've got Eternal Skylord. This is four and a blue for a 3-3. When it enters the battlefield, amass two, and zombie tokens you control have flying. Yeah, card is busted in half. Yeah, that seems like a, a front runner for one of the best uncommons in the set for me. Moving on to Black's commons. These were also really hard for me. I had some good discussions in the Discord on these. I sort of cheated a little bit. Wow. In the number three slot, I've got Lazatep Reaver. It's one and a black for the one, two. When it ETBs, you amass one. I think this card's either going to be, like we talked about, really good or really mediocre. I'm hoping it, it looks like it's well positioned in the format. I think so. It was hard for me to like, I wanted to slot this in, but black has a lot of good removal at common as well. So this did make my number three slot. And uh, number two, I've got spark harvest. It's a single black sorcery as an additional cost to cast it. You can either sack a creature or pay three in a black to destroy target creature or planeswalker. Yeah, I think that card's, that card's the one I'm most suspect about. Twitch chat, uh, not Twitch chat, <laughs> our Lords of Limited Discord convinced me to put spark harvest in my list i'm not sold like five mana kill a creature or planeswalker is pretty clunky no but that's what but we've been used to five mana kill a thing for so many sets now i agree but i think there's just better removal in this set i think the saving grace is that it has the planeswalker text on there but i don't think you're often firing this off on an uncommon planeswalker because it's already going to have minus once right so it's going to feel terrible to spark harvest you know your opponent's uncommon planeswalker it is sort of insurance against the rare and mythic rare planeswalkers floating around which is really strong I, and i can't imagine you're going to be crazy happy to be casting this for a single black mana and sacrificing something and if you are your deck's probably insanely good so and i don't know that one's in the air for me i could see soren's thirst making the cut yeah uh, that didn't make my list but that's a good one i could see the raise dead you know target creature target planeswalker being pretty good another one is the the finisher the two and a black for the three two that one got floated around a lot i could see that being the number three pretty easily you know if a creature dealt damage to another creature or planeswalker your opponent's control you get to sort of kill that creature those are all reasonable so there's there's a lot floating around in there so i could see lazatep reaver and potentially even spark harvest getting bumped yeah, that's fair. And we got to be in agreement here on number one, right? Obnixil's is cruelty. Minus five, minus five until end of turn to a creature for three yeah, mana. Stupid. Yeah, agreed. Moving on to black uncommons in my number two slot. I've got Obnixilus the Hate Twisted. Oh my God, you do too? That's awesome. I also have that as my number two. Yeah, that card's good. I thought this was a hot take. No, I think this card's really strong. So three black black for five loyalty planeswalker. Whenever an opponent draws a card, Obnixilus the Hate Twisted deals one damage to that player. Minus two destroy target creature. Its controller draws two cards. Yeah, I think this card is so flexible. It's just really good when you're ahead. Uh-huh. Because it's going to close the game out. And it's like fine to good at parity. Yeah, I mean, you can just sit on... You don't have to activate it. You can just sit on the static ability. And you. I also think, like, don't sleep on the fact that you can just turn your creatures that aren't relevant anymore into two cards. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a powerful planeswalker. I agree. Number one, I've got new Ravenous Chupacabra, Bleeding Edge. One black black for a sorcery. Up to one target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Amass two. Yeah, that's also my number one. I really wanted to try to get the Vizier in there, the two and a black one one that gave your zombie army tokens death touch, but it didn't quite make the cut for me. Yeah, but I do think that card is quite strong. Moving on to Red's Commons. In the number three slot, I've got Spellgorger Weird. This is two and a red for a two two. 
And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Spellgorge or Weird. I think this is going to be the linchpin of the blue-red spells deck. And I think this card's going to be borderline unblockable. Yeah, I have that in my number two spot, actually. And I've got a Raging Crunch in my number three red common. Yeah, that's certainly possible now that I know that card can block. I gave my number two slot to Heartfire. Yeah, I don't know how to evaluate this card. This is one in a red for an instant as an additional cost to cast it, sacrifice a creature or planeswalker, and it deals four damage to any target, which is pretty big game, the fact that that can go to the face. Yeah, I agree. And also that's instant speed, so you can respond to removal with it. I like that card a lot. It didn't make my top three. I've got Jaya's Greeting at number one. This is one in a red for an instant, deal three damage to a creature, scry one. Yep, that was my number one as well. Moving on to the uncommons in the number two slot, I've got Chandra's Triumph. This is one in a red for the instant, deal three damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. If you've got a Chandra planeswalker, it deals five damage instead. I don't know how to feel about this, but Chandra's Triumph didn't actually make my top two. I've got Jaya Venerated Fire Mage at number two. This is the four in a red planeswalker, five loyalty. It's minus two is it deals two damage to any target and it's static is that it makes uh, other red sources you control deal an additional damage when it, when they deal damage to a permanent or planeswalker. Yeah, that's my number one. Jaya seems super strong. Yeah, I agree. I have Dreadhorde Twins at number one, and I don't know if that's crazy or not, but this card seems really good to me. Three and a red, two, two. When it enters the battlefield, amass two and zombie tokens you control have trample. Yeah, I mean, how much better is this than Gallant Cavalry? Better. I mean, but how but how much better? I guess you got to do work for it so that like, that shouldn't it's not like intrinsically powerful. Maybe this is crazy. I'm just so excited about this card. <laughs> That's funny to me because like I, I was initially thinking that card was looking pretty good. And then I was thinking, wait a second, like this is just Gallant Cavalry. But it's not just it's not Gallant Cavalry. It's not just Gallant Cavalry, but if this is your only a mass thing. Then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I agree. It's I mean, it's got a lot of potential. All right, let's round it out. We, I said I wanted to get a good top common list for Green Ben. Do you think we got there? Oh, I think there were certainly tons of contenders, and I think we're going to have a list. I think we're going to be arguing maybe over which ones belong, but yeah, I yeah. think there are a lot of good green commons. So yeah, I certainly think there will be a solid list by the end of the format. My number three slot, I've got my boy, Pollen Bright Druid, one and a green for the one one. When it ETBs, you choose one, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or proliferate. Uh, yeah, I've got my boy at number three, Centaur Nurturer, three and a green for a two four. When it enters the battlefield, you gain three life and it taps add one mana of any color. In my number two slot, I have got Centaur Nurturer. Whoa. Yeah. I've got Bloom Hulk at number two. This is three and a green for a four four. When it enters the battlefield, proliferate. Yeah, that card's strong. So here's my reason why I don't have both of those in my top green commons. And I think ultimately they're not both going to end up there. Yes. It feels really hard for two four drops to be in the top green commons. I think one of them is going to end up shaking out to be better than the other. And my nod for that goes to Centaur Nurture. So my thought was that they belong in different decks. I do agree with that. But I think so. I think like either if you're in the four power matters green red deck or if you're just in like in a green blue or green white proliferate deck, you want Bloom Hulk. And if you're in a green X or green black multicolor deck, then you're going to want Centaur Nurturer. Yeah, but I just think there aren't good two drops running around. And I think Pollen Bright Druid is one of the really good ones. My only issue is that Pollen Bright Druid isn't actually a good two drop. The reason it's a good two drop is because like you're not. In theory, if you built your deck correctly, you're not mad to top deck it, but you're not actually happy to play a two mana two two in this format. 
heck yeah you are with a plus one plus one counter on it in a proliferate deck yeah it's gonna be so hard to get that chain started early i think the proliferate deck is gonna suffer from problems of like needing to draw its cards in the right order like you've got to get plus one plus one counters on your creatures before your proliferate cards do anything and this is guaranteed two drop that comes down with a plus one plus one counter on it as a two two and then all of your proliferate cards turn this into a three three if you turn this into a three three you're doing it yeah you're right you're right you're right all right uh that 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 definitely could have uh could have top three written all over it and then like late game if you're proliferating like you feel great about it also right i mean it's yeah, it's, yeah. so i just think it does more i think it does more for the proliferate deck better than the the four four card does i think that card's a little clunky mm-hmm. potentially except it's so big except it's so big i mean it, it could easily edge out centaur nurture but i only think one of those two is going to end up in the top commons list that's my hot take yep i'm into it and number one i'm sure we have the same one here this is band together two and a green for an instant two of your creatures team up to punch target creature and opponent controls agreed let's round it out uncommons number two i've got evolution sage two and a green for a three two whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control proliferate yeah, that didn't make my list, but that's very strong. In my number two slot, I've got Arlen, Voice of the Pack. Four green green for a seven loyalty planeswalker. Each creature you control that's a wolf or werewolf enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it, and then minus two to make a two two green wolf creature token. Yeah, that card's fantastic. I would assume we have the same number one, Paradise Druid. One and a green for a two one. Yeah, I have Paradise Druid at number one. Yeah, this is the, the hexproof as long as it's untapped and taps to add one mana of any color. I think just getting a jump to like the four mana planeswalkers or the five mana planeswalkers is going to be I assume this is going to be dying after you use it once. But I think that one use is going to be pretty potent. So I think important to note here in our like rankings that we didn't include any of the hybrid uncommon planeswalkers that exist. And we may want to revisit that in a couple of weeks when we have a sense of the format, like maybe some of those cards sort of lean much more towards, well, this is really just a, a green card more than it is a black green card or whatever. So we'll definitely look at that if they uh, crack any of the uncommon rankings slash we may want to just like give a sort of power rankings of uncommon planeswalkers for folks once we have a, a good handle on it. Yeah, you have any hot takes for the format or anything like that before we go? Turtle up, boys and girls. It's going to be a bumpy ride. (laughs) Turtle up has been called. I just feel like I'm looking more so than any other set we've done recently. I feel like I've had a thing in mind that I think is going to be the best Uh or that I want to do. And I don't really have a sense of that right now. I feel like I have like this puzzle sitting in front of me with a ton of pieces and like I have some ideas about how they're going to go together. But as far as like what's going to be best or how it's all going to eventually fit together to make the picture, I just don't really know right now. And I'm I'm really excited to play the set. Yeah. So uh, we should announce here that both of us are going to be able to participate in the early access streamer event. Thank you to Wizards of the Coast for that ability to participate. Uh, that's going to be uh, from Tuesday to Wednesday. I assume you'll be hanging out Tuesday night, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be uh, an event for streamers to get access to fully stocked accounts on arena where uh we can play some standard if you want blech but we'll be doing sealed all day i believe ben just to get a handle on that format so if you want to come hang out in our twitch channels you can see us jamming some sealed of war of the spark early and often yeah come break the format with us Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. You can check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. You can check us out on those same handles on Twitter, and you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Thank you.
Yeah, we're going to kick things off with A's. Those are bomb winners. <laughs> bomb winners. Bomb winners. <laughs> <clears throat> and there's a handful of life link. Jesus. <laughs> Just like burping excessively <laughs> just cannot stop i'm just like <laughs> <sighs> okay <clears throat> such an old man 